0: So money is brought to you by CNET, the site that shows how to navigate change all around us. So money episode thirteen seventy five financial expert Kevin Matthews on the economy.
1: You're listening to So Money with award winning money guru Farnoosh Torabi. Each day, get a thirty minute dose of financial inspiration from the world's top business minds, authors, influencers, and from Farnoosh herself. Looking for ways to save on gas or double your double coupons? Sorry, you're in the wrong place. Seeking profound ways to live a richer, happier life? Welcome to So Money. We're all going through this together and you don't want to internalize what is going on in the market and make it feel or even just the the broader economy and say, I am the bad person. I did something wrong when you really didn't. We didn't really have that much of an impact on an individual level on how things are playing out. So remember that. See what you can do to make the best of the situation. Be a little creative and then really stay focused on the long term because this will be temporary. We don't know how long, but these these things tend to be temporary and there is a way out.
0: Welcome to So Money, everybody. I'm Farnoosh Shirabi, June 27th. Today, we're in conversation with financial expert Kevin Matthews. He's here to talk about the Fed's interest rate hike and how it will or won't tame inflation, as well as Good advice for home buyers right now in 2022. And if you're looking at the crypto market and thinking maybe it's a good time to buy, Kevin's got an important perspective. Now, more about Kevin. I just discovered him a couple of weeks ago and I'm kind of kicking myself because he's amazing. He's a number one best selling author, former financial advisor who's helped hundreds of individuals plan for their retirement. He's managed more than $140 million in assets during his advisory career. Today, he's got a very popular YouTube channel go to buildingbread.com slash YouTube to learn more about that. Lots of good videos, great explainers. Kevin, like me, he's really into the economy. He's got actually a degree in economics from Hampton University. He's also got a certification in financial planning from Northwestern University. Here we go. Kevin Matthews, welcome to So
1: Money. Thank you for having me.
0: It's so nice to connect. You know, we became friends on Twitter. We're Twitter friends. Yeah, uh, you were <laughs> you were kind enough to respond to a very nerdy question I had that I posted on Twitter a little while ago. Uh, maybe we can talk about it. We could start there. What what confused me was, you know, all these eggs we're putting in the Federal Reserve basket mm-hmm. to help us get out of this economic mess. And I know that the Fed has a lot of power, and and to help. With inflation specifically, their power tool is to raise interest rates, which they are doing. But I have to wonder what else can we do? Because I don't know if we can Fed hike our way out of this mess. Because as you've talked about on your YouTube channel and across your platforms, and I agree with you that if we're looking at this problem as sort of a two-sided issue, we've got, you know, demand on one side and then Mm -hmm. we have supply on the other. We have a lot of consumer demand. The economy has been very hot. Spending has been very high, prices have been going up, so raise interest rates. We'll want to save more than spend. Get it. But what can the Fed do about supply? And are we missing like a task force here? You know, to, to go and talk about how we can help with the supply side of things. And I know that those are sort of existential issues because, like, how can we stop a war? How can we suddenly end a pandemic? that has really been the problem as far as supply chain and manufacturing disruption disruptions. So I don't know, I, I was like throwing it out to the economist nerds and on Twitter verse and you wrote to me and you, you had some really thoughtful responses. I'd love for you to get to share that with us now.
1: Yeah, yeah, definitely. And, and you're right. It's, It's really, it's a broad problem. I think a lot of people just say, oh, gas prices are high. I don't like this, which, yes, yes, we all feel that. But when it comes to, to economics and then you get into like macroeconomics and how these relationships work between supply chains and other countries and what's going on in different places, it can get really complex. And the unfortunate thing is for the Federal Reserve, they basically have one hammer and it's all they can use. And it's the only thing that they have that they're using now is to raise interest rates. But supply chain is an issue, and it's difficult to just produce more stuff. That would have been right. the, the answer to half of these, these problems. Um, but we also know that there aren't enough people to work to do certain certain jobs, and they're not easy to do either. Um, so it's really a supply and demand issue and something that we hope gets resolved soon. But for now, the only tool that the Fed has is just to raise rates to encourage people to do anything other than go out and spend money.
0: And the key word is soon, because we're hurting. And while raising interest rates uh, may not be the silver bullet, it is something that you and other economists shared on Twitter in my, in my Q&A, that it's the, it's the fastest thing that we can do right now. Because mm-hmm. if we're talking about other potential solves, like raising taxes or I don't know, uh, encouraging more manufacturing domestically, getting more workers in to create the product. Like that takes time. A lot of times that takes Senate vote.
1: Mm -hmm, mm
0: -hmm. I don't know when the last time the Senate agreed on anything. So we kind of are, are we really just stuck here with the Federal Reserve's moves? I'm trying to think bigger.
1: Yeah, I mean, in, in a way, yeah. Because like, for example, like one of the things, so we know gas prices are high that we get, but also like the cost of used cars. And you really have to like, go back through the chain of like, how did we get here and like, what happened and why used cars are so expensive and why Tesla and 4NLs can't produce cars. We have to go back to microchips, the little tiny plastic devices that go into literally everything that we use today. So if we wanted to produce more stuff, we would have to find more microchips, build a plant somewhere in the U.S. so that shipping costs aren't as high and then find enough people to work there and produce those things. But how long does it take to find those materials to find those people and then to build a plant that actually works like mm-hmm. thus it's stuff like that it's like well that's not something I can do overnight but what I can do no. on a monthly basis is encourage people to put their more money in savings encourage people maybe not to be as aggressive with bidding on on home prices and slow everything else down until one of these companies decides to do something or until Congress encourages a, a stronger more resilient supply chain.
0: Yes. And I know those things take time, but I also hope that the powers that be are working on those initiatives. Mm-hmm. I think we sometimes tend to have a very short-term focused yeah. lens on solving problems. And I get it. We, we need help immediately. We needed it yesterday. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I think about like our COVID response and how the country approached that. It's like, yes, we need to get people masked up and all of that. But could we also talk about, ventilation. And we can talk about, you know, the importance of vaccines and making that more of a, I felt like we sort of missed those longer term messages and action steps so that next time, because there will be a next time there's a pandemic, Mm -hmm. we are way more prepared and we have to repeat some of this stuff. But anyway, you bring a good point of like, let's help everybody figure out the the, the macro economy is going to do its thing. And we've got people in power, hopefully, that can fix the problem. But when you're at home and you're facing bigger bills, when you have high gas prices, you're looking at maybe your job market, your particular sector and getting nervous because colleagues are getting laid off. What's your advice right now to people in terms of your personal Economics. Mm-hmm. What should they be focusing on right now, Kevin?
1: Yeah, I think the first thing is is to take that personal audit, see what you need, what areas of your financial life that you need to shore up, and make sure you can tackle those as much as you can right now. That's the first thing. Uh, so, for example, and in everybody in life, I feel like in finance has said this: have three to six months of emergency expenses. Like everybody says that, um, but you should. That if you haven't haven't done that, you definitely want to take advantage you of it now. for a
0: reason. <laughs> yeah, we,
1: we <laughs> say for a reason. Um, but even like, for example, and, and take advantage of any advantages that you may have. For example, student loans have been paused for what feels like forever, but it's only been about two years. If whether or not they're going to cancel or not down the line, you've got a few more months to take whatever that payment would be and try and save it, assuming that inflation hasn't eaten up all of that cost. So take an audit, see like what the worst case scenarios would be and try and protect against those. That's number one. The second mm-hmm. thing is to try and be as creative as you can with these rising costs. So if you are optional to go into the office, Maybe you instead of going every single day, if your job allows, let's see if we can just do it one day a week or two, whatever works for your office culture. Um, See what are some some substitutions that you may um, have. There's a brand of cereal or brand of milk that you typically buy that is more expensive. Perhaps you want to switch that out to kind of lower cost um, in the short term until things start to even out.
0: Really smart. Creativity, as well as ne- I'm hearing also from your advice, negotiation. Mm-hmm. So speaking up, being an advocate, you no, know, it's hard to identify silver linings in a, t- in a time right now where everyone's really hurting, various levels of hurt. You know, if you're thinking about how can I, if I can somehow hold on and ride through these turbulent times and maybe come out on the other side of this stronger maybe not financially stronger, but I've learned a few things like the importance of self-advocacy that if I just ask my employer for what I need instead of being afraid to, that it might be able to work out in my favor. What are some other muscles we should be flexing right now to build that resilience.
1: So there, there's always like the the mental side when it comes to to finances and just the economy and, and everything. I think asking how you can make the best out of a situation um instead of, you know, I know it's negative, but like I know costs are high. I know this is not fun, especially as, as an investor, like I don't like seeing Something down 40%, right? However, I need to take a step back and see what is the best thing I can make out of the situation. Uh, So, for example, there were plenty of people in 2020 that were not in a great space, but a lot of people came out of that and started a new business. I really launched my YouTube channel, which has done a lot better now than what it had done in the past. So, saying, look, this is the situation. How can I transform this? How can I make the best out of it and see like what those levers may be? And they may not always be obvious. The other thing, too, is, again, taking that step back. This is not the only recession that or there is no official declaration of recession yet. OK, so <laughs> let me take that part of it back. But the market is we're in a bear market. The market yeah. is down. In, about 20%. Things are bad. Yeah, it's, it's bad. But it's not the only one we've ever been in. It's not even as bad as what it was in 2020 when it was down 38%. We're only down 20 so far. And you're not alone. Remember that too. Like we're all going through this together and you don't want to internalize what is going on in the market and make it feel, or even just the the broader economy and say, I am the bad person. I did something wrong when you really didn't we didn't really have that much of an impact on an individual level on how things are playing out. So remember that, see what you can do to make the best of the situation, be a little creative, and then really stay focused on the long-term because this will be temporary. We don't know how long, but these these things tend to be temporary and there is a way out.
0: Yes. Uh, I just want to hit replay, (laughs) rewind and replay that. And I would also add to that very important message you just gave that bull markets and periods of growth in the economy are more, not only more frequent but they last longer Absolutely. than recessions and bear markets. So very important to have that historical context. Let's get into some specific problems though, Kevin, you're really good at tackling like really meaty specific Issues that people are grappling with. You've got a bunch of videos on your YouTube channel. One, for example, if you're looking to buy a home right now, you've been struggling for like a while. Maybe you've been in the market since 2020 to no avail. I know some of those people. Mm. Feel really bad for them because it takes it takes a certain kind of person, you know, to to be able to last this long and not give up. But now you might want to be giving up because not only do we have rising interest rates, home prices you are not cooling as fast as I would have thought, especially in these hotter markets. So you're not only paying more interest, you're paying a bigger sticker price. I read a statistic the other day that like it's the same, someone looking for a home last year. That home, you know, an average home, like let's say that the monthly mortgage was gonna come to sixteen hundred dollars a month this year, with where interest rates have more than doubled and that home let's just say has grown a conservative 10 or 15% mm-hmm, <laughs> since
1: mm-hmm.
0: that time. You're paying more than double in your monthly housing costs for that same house. So this is completely taking people on uh, to the sidelines. But if you're in it to win it here, and you're giving someone advice and they're coming to you like I still want to buy a home in 2022. What what are you going to tell them?
1: Yeah, so I'm I'm a recent homeowner we will come up on a year in August. And, you know, as, as someone who pays attention to the numbers, it wasn't fun knowing that I paid at least 50,000 over asking just that was that was the, the unfortunate market at that point in time. However, interest rates were lower. What I would advise and really pay attention to is really why? Like, do you really want to buy? Because I think it was maybe 2019 or so, we found out that at least for millennials, there was a good chunk of that generation that said, I actually regret buying because it costs more than what I thought. Now I've care of the yard and pay a lot more in expenses. So that's number one is really being sure that you want to buy. The second thing is you might want to be just a touch more patient uh, because of how rates are increasing and that's going to make the loan more expensive, we are seeing in some markets demand start to come down a bit. And the house that was you know, maybe 15,000 over asking might start to creep down. But my thing is, is patience. Um, I know how important home ownership is and how difficult it can be, especially in these last few years. But be patient and really pick your spots because buying a home is it can be one really expensive it is a huge commitment of of capital but you don't want to get into something that let's say a year or two years from now rates drop and home values drop and then you could have gotten the same house for much cheaper mm. and that's the thing that you you really don't want to get into is lock in a very expensive um expense on your your about your personal balance sheet. right
0: we also need more homes on the market let's yes, be honest I don't to would, would go a very long way in affordability yeah So in the absence of owning a home, which many people bill as the way to build generational wealth, what else can you do? Just invest in the stock market, which if you're looking at it right now, you're probably not feeling so good about that option either. What's your take on how people today, this generation, can really set themselves and their offspring Mm -hmm. for financial success in perpetuity?
1: Yeah, so my my controversial money take is that I think the stock market is actually uh, more efficient in creating generational wealth than the housing market is. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. People fight me for it, but hey, it is what it is. Um, but I, I would still encourage investing. I'm a believer of what we call dollar cost averaging. That's putting the exact same amount of money in on a regular schedule, two weeks, first and 15th, you, you choose whatever date that's going to be. And really, again, taking a look at the long term, because everybody says that, oh, I wish I could have gotten Microsoft in the 1990s. I wish I would have gotten Google when it went public. And that's like, that's close to 20 years ago now. Remember all the things we went through over the last 20 years, including the Great Recession and everything else in between. Um, so that is that is still going to be your, your best bet. And looking at it right now in 2022, it doesn't look fun. It does not. Mm-hmm. But usually five, 10 years from now, you're going to look back and say, wow, I wish I had done that. Right. And I wish I had grabbed up whatever company, whatever index fund at that point in time. And and for example, one hundred dollars a month from nineteen ninety five, which is when Internet Explorer came out. It's Internet Explorer has passed on now. Um, Right. And it should have gone sooner. But anyway, when it came (laughs) when it came out, if you had invested just one hundred dollars a month in ninety five up until, let's say, May of twenty twenty two, you'd have six hundred thousand dollars to your name. That's a lot of money, but also that's a lot of time. We went through the yeah. dot-com bus. We went through 9-11. We went through a pandemic. We went through all these crazy election cycles, and you still would have had $600,000. And that's a moment right now. So it's not about what's happening right now. It's not about zooming in. It's really about zooming out.
0: Great, great advice. Crypto. Do we consider that to be a long-term play at all? A play at all? I mean, can I just be honest with everybody right now? <laughs> Part of me is so tickled pink about what's happening in the crypto market because all those bros and hypers who are like, you got to get in. It's the next It's the next frontier. And I'm sorry. I think right now we're seeing uh, who's actually wearing the clothes. Mm-hmm. When a company like... Celsius tells you, I'm sorry, you can't take your crypto out of the bank. Can you imagine if JP Morgan called you up one day, Kevin, or wherever you bank, and they're like, sorry, uh, banks closed.
1: Right. And we're not going to tell you what the hours are going to be. We're just going to close and go away.
0: Let us deal with some problems. (laughs) We'll get back to you. Right. I'm sorry, what? Right. This is cryptocurrency, everybody. This is what you're in for when you sign up. You're in for a deregulated, unregulated, Mm -hmm. wild west where you can wake up one morning and you can't access your your money and what scares me is i read statistics like there are all these millennials that and and gen z especially that believe so much in this category they're willing to put everything into this when did that become okay when i wouldn't put everything in the stock market why would i put everything in cryptocurrency
1: right right so we're we're on the same page um, I so so two two quick things. I'm someone that has been saying this since cryptocurrency got popular was I don't want more than three percent of all my money in it. That's it. If I get it get three, that's that's enough. I'm gonna stop. I got up to one percent and I'm like, okay, I'm I'm fine here. So that's number one. Like we call this asset allocation understanding where your money should be and how and why. So I've got my savings, I got the stock market, and I got a little tiny, tiny piece of crypto for times like this, because it's down. And honestly, I don't know how much I've lost. And it's, it's only 1% of, ev- of everything I have. It's really not that, that much for me. Right. But if you put 50, 60% or more, this is a different conversation. So going into it and understanding the risk. The other part of this for crypto, for me, which is a concern, is there's a common phrase that it takes, well, like 10 years to become like an expert or master of your field. Crypto hasn't, has barely been long. That far, I
0: think nine years.
1: Yeah. So, yeah. So everybody that says like, I'm a Bitcoin expert, I'm a crypto expert. You literally cannot be. It has not been around long enough for you to know anything about how it actually works. Right. The the tech piece. Sure. But like people came into it and said, you know, five years ago, it is a hedge against inflation. If the dollar does this, Bitcoin is going to be digital gold. It's going to save you. It's going to do all that stuff that hadn't worked. They said that the fact that there were no regulations was going to make it, quote unquote, safer and more trustworthy and more transparent. Celsius proved that has not worked. And the thing is, I don't think enough people are out there that have been trained in this and studied this for long enough to know what it really does and what the true value is. It's all Twitter potential and what they think it can do, what it, the, the value they think it can unlock. But it, it really hasn't been around long enough to really know the answers to those questions.
0: My goodness. And then you got Elon Musk tweeting. And he's a smart individual. I mean, I don't always agree with him in he's, some areas, I'll say. <laughs> in some areas, I mean, he's he's always up, but you could you could make the argument that he has vision. And mm-hmm. he sees things before others do. So then, you know, when people like him are advocating for crypto, it's really, where does it leave everybody else? What are they supposed to think?
1: Right, right. I mean, you had him, you had Mark Cuban. Uh, it was trending in 2021 that by the end of that year. That, but, what
0: is it, uh, Matt Damon? <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah. It, it, you know, it's, I think the thing is, you have Senior to be-
0: lane, celebrities. Right.
1: Like, you got to be careful in, like, while- Elon and others may be visionaries, like visionaries for what though? Right. So like I would take automobile advice, maybe starting a company advice from someone like Elon. Um, I may take acting advice from, from a particular actor, but like, <laughs> do I really want cryptocurrency advice? I, I don't know. Right. Um, mm. If he started a crypto company. Okay. Well, maybe. Right. Um, and I think, I think Elon is being sued for 200 65 billion or something crazy because of the Dogecoin thing. So now it's like, yeah, do I really, you know, did he really know? You know, so yeah, be careful. Gosh,
0: I did not know that. That (laughs) Yeah. Would you go so far as to say that it's a scam as I think Bill Gates has pretty much said? Mm,
1: I wouldn't go that far. I think so, because to call all of cryptos a scam, I think is, is too broad a brush. I think like Dogecoin was a scam. Shiba Inu, those were scams. They were, literally jokes that people took seriously. Unfortunately, they made money and then lost money. Um, Bitcoin and some of the others, I don't see them as a scam. I just think they are extremely risky. And I don't think they are understood to a level that they should be.
0: Kevin, why are you so nerdy about all this stuff? I love it. I love it. What (laughs) draws you to this area of the world? Like I'm really drawn to taking these big complex issues and and trying to figure things out and and maybe stepping on my words as I'm doing them, asking lots of stupid questions. But I know that I'm not the only one, so I will take one for the team and ask the questions." that's what kind of drew me to this space because I think it's important to help people. But what's your journey here? I know you were previously a financial advisor and-
1: mm-hmm. Yeah, so I, I'm i born and raised in Tulsa, Oklahoma, which was known as Black Wall Street. And growing up, my, I guess, burning question as a kid was, how was it that a hundred plus years ago, my community had so much wealth? We had all these things, theaters, like airports, all these things a hundred years ago, but then didn't have them when I was growing up in the late nineties and two thousands. And that was just like a burning quest. Like what was it? So that's what really kind of led me into the study of economics. 2010, I moved to New York for an internship and it was what was then ING investment management And I got there. It was, you know, from Oklahoma to New York City, living in Manhattan, it was that's a culture shock like trains and so many people. It was just, it was was strange. Trash everywhere. Oh my God, yes.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I love New York, but that's, uh, I don't miss that.
1: Yeah, yeah, I don't miss that part. Um, But summers in in New York are amazing. But anyway, um, so I got there 10 weeks and trying to understand the stock market. And for nine weeks and four days, I was utterly confused. Like they threw out all these words and mutual funds and graphs and charts. I'm like, what are you people talking about? It wasn't until like the second to last day that it actually clicked. I looked around and said, you did not need to to make this that complicated. You could have just said buy and sell. Instead, they were using short and long and all these like really strange terms that just didn't need to be there. And at that point, I said, look. The stock market is interesting now. I get it. Everybody should have access to this information, but it should be simple for everybody to understand. And that was was kind of my origin story. I wanted to to make finance and economics and all this stuff understandable and relatable because it does touch us all.
0: I'll tell you why Black Wall Street doesn't exist anymore. It's racism. Mm-hmm. How how often does that come up in your work too? As you're trying to make things simple, but also recognizing the systems that are creating a lot a lot of hurdles.
1: Yeah, so my my most recent book was on the Tulsa race massacre, and there's an entire chapter. Um, it's it's called the 16 trillion dollar cost of racism. So I I very bluntly say this is a part of the entire issue, and that that number came from City um, City Group, and that was just I think from like the year 2000. So it not even going back to 1619 of, of the, the financial cost of racism in the United States. Um, so I, I usually will, will bring that up and say, these are the systems that are in place. Here are some ways that we can dismantle it or go around it and policies and things that we should advocate for to even the playing field and restore justice, financial justice and you know legal justice to the people that have been harmed.
0: Well, we will have you back for sure. As we know, financial equity is a very important pillar here on so money, Kevin Matthews, thank you so much for breaking down so much of this important stuff for us. I know uh, everyone's got all these questions and you have been so helpful helping us navigate everything from the stock market to interest rates, real estate, cryptocurrency. You're a gem. Thank you.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: Thanks so much to Kevin for joining us. Check out buildingbread.com for more about Kevin and his YouTube channel, as well as his book. I'll see you back here on Wednesday. And in the meantime, I hope your day is so money.